and don't think that you're the only one that's going through things or you're the only one that has um, any sense of, uh, well, I'm, I'm feeling it. From the pew to the platform, there is a, uh, an all-out assault. And I realized um, that, um, in fact, uh, Sister Denise Atkins sent a uh, connection uh, from the man that wrote The Harbinger who was speaking and talking about the end time and talking about how that he believes and he is a Jewish believer that we are in fact in the end time and that we are in fact living uh, at the end. And I, I do believe that we are, are feeling some of that impact of um, the last days, if you will. And so with that in mind, I was praying and asking the Lord, and I know uh, part of our responsibility, I, the last time I spoke to you was about the power of prayer and praise and worship, and I, I realized that my job is to help encourage us to pray, and I, I understand all of that, but um, this also is an hour in which uh, I appreciate our uh, hyphen uh, and youth uh, teams wanting to talk about ministry, talk about what can I do in this hour, not only for myself, but for the church. And so uh, I feel uh, we are excited. We've been growing uh, apostolic legacy. Amen? Amen. <laughs> and um, uh, my remote's not working. It's not showing Wi-Fi. So anyway... Um, you'll have to, uh, you'll have to change the slides up there. Uh, the title of my message today is "Holiness in a Dirty World." Is it possible? And I know those words beg a lot of uh, explanation because a lot of times it's, well, what is holiness? And, you know, I have lived through uh, long enough. My dad is here, and I uh, have lived long enough to see where uh, at times holiness was uh, a list of do's and don'ts, and those were the things to where it became a sense of attitudes, and it became a sense of uh, all kinds of situations, and yet there are rules and do's and don'ts and trying to do what is right. And I know the commandments are now thought of as the 10 suggestions uh, and that maybe God didn't really mean them. Uh, I don't agree with that philosophy. And yet uh, their backlash is, well, if you talk about do's and don'ts, then you're being legalistic. And that's not the case either. You're not necessarily saying that these things will uh, make you holy, uh, but that these are important in this hour uh, that we are, are living, that there is a sense that, Lord, we um, want to sort of, you know, we're getting ready to be a bride. Next slide. And... Um, 
our garment. It's going to be hard for it not to get spotted in this hour. And you say, well, you know, it's kind of, I don't know, if she was marrying the farmer or her husband-to-be owns a Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but I, I found this picture and I said, you know, at times I feel like this lady and uh, maybe in the middle of a muddy dirt road and yet I'm trying to get my wedding garment on and I know you say well is it important in this hour absolutely Paul wrote in Hebrews the 12th chapter he said follow peace with all men and holiness notice that follow peace with all men and holiness and then he's very specific. He says, without which no man shall see the Lord. Wow. And then he goes on to say, looking diligently, same 12th verse through the 14th verse, lest any man fail of the grace of God. That's the mercy, the un... You say, well, how could you fail of the mercy of God? How could you fail from receiving God's mercy. Well, the only way to fail receiving the mercy is to not let his mercy touch you. Is to not let his mercy change you. You see, when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, the Lord is on a mission to get your garment ready so that he can present you faultless. And so, he said, lest any root of bitterness. So bitterness is one of those things that if you allow bitterness in your heart and anger and frustration and wrath and malice, I will tell you, it will muddy your garment. It will soil your garment. I've seen folks that are holding on to something that happened when they were in their childhood. They were angry. You don't know what so-and-so said, did, whether it's parents, aunts, uncles, I get it. I'm not suggesting that, you know, that they are perfect people. They probably will, whatever, but at some point you have to forgive and let it go and let God wash your heart and mine. Or you will hang on to that your whole life and it soils your clothes. And that's what he said, lest any root of bitterness trouble you and therefore thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. And that word fornicator in the Greek is pornos from what we would say would be the root word of pornography or whatever. It means to sell yourself, lust. To sell yourself out, which is what Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of beans. The word profane is bebilos in the Greek, 
And it means to remove a boundary so that you allow access of the base or unholy to enter at will, to allow the common to become just, you know, it's okay now and it doesn't matter anymore. And if we are not living in a world that is profane today, I don't know where we're living because it, you know, it, it is horrific. You, you listen to the news or read the app or whatever and it, it is one report after another that is base and it is uh, common and things that are being said and done and the attacks. And I, I know you can, you can say, well, it's all Mr. Trump's fault or it's all uh, Pelosi's fault or it's all. I want to tell you it's the spirit that is in this hour and world that we're living in. It is one that is not easy to, in, in one sense, to say, well, you know, how am I going to be holy in this hour? How am I going to keep my garment from getting spotted by the spirits and the attitudes and the anger and the frustration and the baseness? How do I, how do I make it? How do I, in a, in a muddy cow pasture, how do I wear a white wedding dress? And I heard a story about uh, a group of ducks that were flying south for the winter and one of the ducks uh, was, flew over a barnyard and the duck uh, sort of went in and landed in the barnyard. Okay, my, it's not going forward. There it is. There it is. There are the ducks. And he landed down in the duck pen and he began to think, wow, this is pretty good. Every morning the farmer comes out and has a bucket of corn and he feeds us and, and uh, I don't have to go looking for grain anymore. And uh, he began to eat and uh, the storm had blown him off course and so all summer long he was eating and enjoying being there in the farmyard and kind of waddling around like all the other ducks and chickens and uh, it was just a good time and uh, when that fall came back and all of his family of wild ducks flew over he he said uh, you know now I gotta go and leave and fly back with him and um, he uh, <coughs> got there and flap, 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 and he got up and, oh, about treetop high, and man, that was a lot of hard work. He hadn't been flying all summer, and he'd been eating a little extra, and <laughs> he said, I, I'll wait till they come back in the spring. Man, this is tough, and uh, of course, you know the story. Ultimately, uh, the next time they fly over in the spring, there's a sense that I, uh, he doesn't even try to fly this time. He just looks at them and there's a little longing in his heart. I wish I could go with them, but man, this corn is good and uh, this, you know, and he got it, whatever. And so I, I, uh, I, I asked uh, the 
the men to get, get ready to pass something out here in a minute. In fact, they can pass it out while I'm finishing my duck story. And I know none of the crowd that's 20 years and younger probably will know what this is unless they, they've actually uh, <coughs> seen one. I, I need one, but uh, some of you older ones will know what this is. Give me one. My dad will know what it is. I don't know. Shane may know what it is. It's, um, we'll, we're going to talk about it in a minute. <clears throat> anyway, um, and I know you won't know this reference. We'll talk about this. This is a, a, a mini pearl. <laughs> thing, and I know nobody that's under 30 will know that reference either, but it's, it's a mini pearl. Uh, thing that, but I, I want these young folks to have it. But the story of the ducks, and I, I'll explain what this is in a little bit, but the story of the ducks is one in which you have to realize that when the Lord created us, he created us to be connected to him and created us to be like him and created us to be able in, in one sense, you know, uh, not to necessarily be caught in the barnyard, if you will. And yet, uh, it's easy in the world that we're living to look around and find yourself just sort of, sort of doing what the wild ducks did. And that was what the other picture was there, were some wild ducks eating with some uh, other ducks. And yet, and, you know, I know the Bible says that Jesus, and I've had people tell me, well, Jesus is, uh, you know, was more uh, uh, attacking, if you will, uh, for the uh, Pharisees and Sadducees than he was the publicans and the harlots. And yet, you have to read very carefully, he did attack the Pharisees and Sadducees, which were the religious people of the time. And I know that, you know, you may say, well, the Lord is against religious people. It wasn't that. It was, if you read it carefully, that Jesus said unto them, verily I say unto you, that publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. And why is it that they go in before some of the Pharisees and Sadducees? He went on and explained it. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and you believed him not. But the publicans and harlots believed him. And ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterwards that you might believe him. And what are you saying? I, 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 I'm saying that the, what the Lord was saying is that at no point can we look at ourselves and say, well, as long as I am, you know, am not, you know, murdering or killing or I'm not breaking any of the Ten Commandments, well, then I've got holiness down pat. It's not that at all. It doesn't matter how, what your pedigree is. It doesn't matter if you're sixth generation or tenth generation. Every one of us has to work on our relationship with God every day. Amen. And the moment that you don't think that you have to repent is the moment that you become like the Pharisees and Sadducees. Reminded me of an old story that I read 
several years ago about a factory that would call the TV news station, or it was actually the radio news station, and ask them what time it was every morning so they could set their clock. And when the clocks weren't very accurate, and so <laughs> they would tell them it is exactly 8.02 at the, you know, the sound of the gong, it's whatever, 8.02. And they would set their clock by that. And at noon, when the factory blew the whistle, there was somebody down at the news station that would set their clock to noon because the factory had it right. So in other words, you know, the factory was asking the news station and the news station was recalibrating according to the factory. And if we live our lives according to, well, whatever society says and whatever everybody else thinks and what everybody else does, that's why people like Hitler were able to... Yes. When we don't say, wait a minute, Lord, I want to know what your word says. I don't want to line myself up to, well, everybody else says it's okay. Everybody else says it's all right. The society says, because I want you to understand something. They, they Right now, they theorize that by the age of 18, that a child that is was born to, you know, that is 18 years of age, that that child will have listened to over 15,000 hours of some sort of video or program or something. And if they've gone to church every Sunday and they've spent an, at least an hour of church getting a lesson, they will have less than 1,000 hours of Bible training. Who's teaching us value? Who's teaching our society what is right and what is wrong? Who's teaching us, and, you know, what is common and base? James, the fourth chapter, he says, From which come wars and fightings among you? Don't they come from your lust that war in your members? You lust and have not. In other words, you desire... And what feeds our desires? Well, we'll blame advertisers. You know, they're the ones that always get us. And you've heard me preach about the Ronco Ready Slicer Dicer <laughs> Bottle Cutter that we don't need. But after we hear about the fifth or sixth or tenth commercial, I start actually thinking, you know what, I could have used that last week. Huh? And now, because of the beautiful, wonderful thing of Amazon, I can just flick my thumb up like that and find it, and boom, I can have it in two days. Huh? Or the next day. And wow, it may not look like what I thought, but boy, I can have it. And then in two weeks, I can throw it away. And that's the society that we're living in. He says, you desire and have not, you kill. And I don't know about you, but you know, the advertisers are getting, you know, they're, they're getting you know, more and more powerful. I mean, you can't even play Candy Crush without getting an ad. Huh? 
You can't even do, you know, you're bombarded. You, you know, somebody says, oh, pastor, you should have seen this YouTube video. And I turn it on and it's like, there's an ad. You know what I'm talking about? That's our society. I want to sell you something. I want to hook you on something. I want you to buy something. And I want you to have a desire for something. You desire and have not. You kill. Desire to have cannot obtain. You fight and war. And yet you have not because you ask not. And that's where prayer comes in. You ask and yet receive not because you don't ask appropriately. And so our prayers are amiss that you may consume it on your own desires. And then he uses that phrase, adulterers and adulteresses. Know ye not, and what does he say? Know ye not that, part of that verse, the friendship of the world is an enemy of God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend, a friend of the world, is the enemy of God. Now that becomes hard because it's like we are in the world but we're not of the world and we've got all these verses and it says do you think that the scripture saith in vain the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy but he giveth more grace wherefore he saith God resists the what? Proud and gives grace to the humble therefore submit yourself Unto God resist the devil and he will flee. Draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. And you say, well, what was this for? Here's what it was for. This is a price tag thing. I know now they have scanners and bars. And believe it or not, they still sell these at Staples here in town. I don't know why. But no, most of the stuff has a barcode on it now, but this used to be a little price tag. And you could write a price on it, and there was a little string, and you could put it in there. And the hour and what the enemy has done, and the hour in which we're living in, is he has broken into the store, and he switched price tags on everything so that we don't realize the cost of some of the stuff what the real cost is and if the enemy doesn't do it we do it ourselves oh I know they. everybody says I shouldn't do this but I can handle it you don't know. I'm not going to get hooked. I'm not going to, huh? I don't, I don't, it's not, this is not going to, Minnie Pearl used to wear one of these out of her hat, remember? <clears throat> because she was going to take her hat back. She was going to wear it. And as long as she didn't take the price tag off, she could bring it back. For those of you who don't know Minnie Pearl, you don't know the Grand Ole Opry, and I'm sorry. I'm just sorry you don't know about that reference. I don't know. You may be able to Google it. I don't know. Whatever. She used to be funny. Kind of a decent, clean funny. But there's a sense of reassigning value. 
The enemy's job is to make us feel like we can live with worldly values. Worldly values, things that the world values. I value making a lot of money. I value a new car. I value, huh? And I don't realize that some of those things, you know, can end up being destructive. In fact, John talks about the lust of the flesh, pleasure, if you will. And we know the Bible is full of examples, but Samson, and, and you know, what an example of someone in the Old Testament that was told, you know, not to uh, eat grapes, not to eat raisins, not to drink juice, not to have wine, and, uh, you know, not cut his hair. And then also part of that was not to marry outside of the Israelites. And he gets one girlfriend, and she's not there, and he gets engaged and having a party, and, and, and it just is, you know, it's crazy how he continues on with that lady and just you would think when you read the story you're an idiot and then after that he meets another one by the name of Delilah and you would think how could you be so foolish that you know the value you don't realize what you're doing to yourself you don't realize the price that this is going to cost you oh you say well my ministry my my, uh, you know at the end yes he made it yes but he died without his eyesight because even with Delilah and when you read about Delilah, you're like, I can't believe, you know, he tells her, you know, this is, do this and I'll be weak. And she does it. And, and he, it's like, can't you get it? And everybody that's read that story thinks, how dumb could you be that you go from this to this to this to this to this? And yet, that's because the enemy has changed the price tag on it. Demas, we don't know much about him other than Paul wrote in 2 Timothy, for Demas hath forsaken me having loved this present world and is departed unto Thessalonica. And that's a key part of the verse. He left and went to Thessalonica. Why? Because Thessalonica or Thessaloniki, if you were Greek, is the cultural and trade capital of Macedonia. It was the place that was bustling. It was the place that had the bright lights, if you will. It was the place that had all of the finery that passed through. It was the place that was the center of culture. The Romans had made it the capital of Macedonia. It was a happening place and that's where Demas goes. And yet he writes himself out because of being part of the team of Paul. Did Demas make it back in? I don't know. Paul doesn't record it. But the sad thing is that he didn't realize what was really most valuable. And what was it? He changed the price tag. Oh, you say, but you know, and when the values are start changing, I, I start desiring the wrong things well, to combat my loneliness. Well, but you don't understand. I'm lonely, and God doesn't want me to be lonely. And, and you don't understand. I, I'm not happy, and God, uh, you know, wants me to be happy. And you don't understand. I need this, and, and I, I, need, I need to feel important, and I need to have a little fun, and I need meaningfulness, and I need to have something that makes me feel good about who I am, and let me tell you, you don't realize the cost that it's going to take. Right. 
that's the key is that I all of a sudden I don't recognize what this is going to cost me. And so I, I land in the barnyard. I quit praying like I should. I quit worshiping like I should. I quit, huh? Because I'm lonely. Because I'm hurting. Because I need fun. Oh. And I go through and this looks like that could be fun. I'll spend my time doing this. This will be okay. And then the cost all of a sudden becomes evident. The next one is, is not just the sense of flesh or the lust of the flesh or pleasure, but it's also the lust of the eyes. And the Bible, next slide, go ahead. And the Bible talks about the lust of the eyes. And I guess we are a society that has been caught up in the lust of the eyes more than anything else because I look around and I make a value judgment and I can become covetous. And I, I look at what somebody else has or they don't have and I I get a little greedy and I get a little feeling like that's not fair. Why do they have that and I don't have that? And why hasn't God given me that? And it's not right. And I start envying and I start complaining and I complain about what I don't have or what I do have and what I would like to have. And it's no very different than the children of Israel who were in the wilderness, remember? I mean, God's brought them out. They've seen the Red Sea. They've watched as their uh, Egyptians firstborn die they've, uh, they've seen the death angel they've, they've heard the cries they, they've seen the miracles they've had all these wonderful things and yet for an onion a garlic you would go back and we look at that and we go how foolish how stupid how ridiculous that the children of Israel would value a price of an onion. They would put more value in an onion than their own child. They were going back to Egypt where all of those people had lost their firstborn because of them. Do you think that was going to be a party when you get back? Oh, they were going to get a bag of onions, okay. It's your reason that I buried my son. Huh? Your fault that I had to bury my child. Garlic? You didn't realize what you heard. You don't realize what you're saying. And yet you will envy what they're, where they are? You will feel like what they're doing is better than what we have? Yeah. You will put more value on having a party on a Friday night or whatever it is than you will. What are you saying? We are living in a world with warped values and in this hour it becomes important and essential for us if we are going to maintain any kind of, of distinction from society is that we say God I want to remember what is important to you it's important to you that I'm in the house of the Lord it's important to you that I have a relationship with you it's important to you that I know how to pray 
that I know how to give, that I know how to fast, that I know how to invite, that I know how to witness. That's what's important, and I want to make heaven my home. Oh, yes, I want a new car, and I do want a new house, and I do want, and I, I, all that's not necessarily bad. I'm not preaching against the new anything, except that when you are willing to let everything else go, What's important to you? What's important? Go ahead, next slide. This reassigning value <clears throat> was a sense of not only the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, and we know it, but the pride of life. Next slide. <clears throat> there it is. The pride of life. It's my self-image. Changes all of my thinking. What are you talking about? Well, it's all always about the fact of, you know, we take credit for something that someone else has done. <clears throat> well, I've got good health. Let me tell you, you better thank God every day for your good health. Yeah, amen. <laughs> oh, well. I've got my right mind. Thank God every day for your right mind. <laughs> I take credit. I think, you know, well, it's my money. I'll do what I want. Hey, wait a minute. Who gave you the strength? Who gave you the mental capacity? Oh, but I went to school. I worked hard. I studied hard. But let me just tell you, one accident, and you could be in a wheelchair not knowing your name. Right. Oh, pastor, that's depressing. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to. No, but what I want you to understand is there's a price tag on everything. And if not, it's up to me to say, Lord, I need to glorify you for what you've given me. I need to thank you for what you've done for me. Oh, I know. You can say, well, I got my good looks from my parents. I, yeah, well, that's wonderful. And then you worked on it and you had surgery and, you know, whatever the doctor and you gave you your good looks. But I want to tell you one accident, one reason one problem and all of it can be gone. God is the source and if I don't glorify and magnify God then I don't realize the value of what God has given me. Yes. And I begin to think that I'm the source. Well I got my blessings and I worked hard and it's my it's my fill in the blank and that's the value of the world. This is my whatever. I do what I want. I got my job, and I'm good at my job. I want to tell you something. I've seen job bosses change. And, huh? I've seen things happen. Oh, well, you know, I don't have to give. I don't have to support. I don't, oh, there's something about, the, you know what fights pride? We read it in the verse, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Resist the devil. Humble yourself. What fights the pride of life in this hour is that I humble myself and I wake up every morning saying, God, I need you this morning. I need you on my job. I need you in my home. I need you in my family. I need your spirit. I need your direction. I need your guidance. 
Lord, without you, I'm nothing. I've got to have you in my life. You say, well, I don't value that. I, I've got to get to work. I've got to get my coffee and i got to get my... I want to tell you something. Don't ever reach the point where you recognize or begin to feel like, you know what? I'm all of that. It's not all about me. It's all about how good God's been, what God's done for me. He brought me out. He set me free. He set my feet on a rock. Well, we've worked hard and it's our family and our family and our... If it were not for God, I don't care what your family's been like. I don't care how good your family was or how bad your family was. Uh, humility is being honest with yourself. Oh, yeah, I've got strengths. I've got weaknesses. But yet, you know who deserves all the credit? Yes. Sure, I've worked hard, but it's still, if it were not for God, Oh, and it's so easy to get envious and jealous of somebody else and what they have and resentful. And I, they didn't have, I don't understand why they got, and I don't understand. It's not fair. And why did they have? And why did this one have? And why? And, and you know what? That's pride. And if you're not careful, pride will turn into bitterness because I'll feel like somehow God has mistreated me and God's done me wrong. And God, I, I want to tell you something. God has not done one person in here wrong. God loved you enough to go to Calvary for you. You may not have everything you want. You may not have everything that you believe everybody else has, but if you have God, you ought to worship God with everything within you every day of your life. You ought to be praising and magnifying God. That's the only way to keep from getting spotted in this world that we live. You'll find yourself so eat up with bitterness and anger and frustration. I'm just telling you, the only way to keep from getting spotted is to start magnifying God, thanking God, being careful what your flesh allow, you know, what you go for. What be careful what your eyes go for. And be careful when the pride of life starts re reeling in its head. You say, oh, pastor, I, I want to stay unspotted. I don't, it seems like I'm fighting some stuff. Let me tell you something. You start... Saying every day, I got to have God today. I need the Lord today. I'm praying before I go to work today. Oh, well, I'm too busy. You see, I've got to make money. Let me tell you something. You've missed the price tag. Yes. But I got to have a coffee. You've missed. Coffee's good. I'm not against coffee. Hot tea, I'm not against it. But if I can have that and I don't start my day off thanking God. You understand? I'm going to get spotted by the muck that we're living in. Because everybody in society has this sense of, and, and, uh, let me go, uh, let me give you one more. And, and the need for a spiritual connection becomes so paramount. In, in other words, you know, we're living in a world with warped values and that, and yet there's this need for a spiritual connection. Adam and Eve were in the garden and yet whenever they sinned, it broke off the communion. They didn't walk with God. They hid from God and there was a void that God was the only one that could 
filth. And yes, Adam wasn't created to be alone. And yet after sin fell, uh, Cain was willing to kill his own brother and wasn't bothered about being his keeper. And I, I will tell you that any time that you try to fill the void in your life with you say, well, I can't pray enough and I can't worship enough. But when I try to fill it with whether it's my job or my leisure time or having a good time or special interests or pleasures and I spend more time with that than I do focusing on God I've missed the value of what's most important in my life what's important in my life is that one day I'm going to heaven I need to see the Lord I need to spend time with the Lord I don't have time to pray I don't have time not to pray I don't have time to read the word I don't have time not to read the word why because that's what I value. <laughs> you say, well, what, what do you mean you, you value? Because we are in constant contact with contamination. People, and, and I know the early, you know, Christians thought the best way to do that was to join a monastery, be a monk. And yet that won't change the feeling inside. You know, you know the story of the guy that was joined a monastery and going to be a monk. And they said every year you get to speak two words. So the end of the first year, they called him in. And he said, bed hard. The next year went by. He said, now's your two words. And he said, food cold. The next year, you know, goes on. And finally, they tell him, you know, you're going to have to leave because you do nothing but complain all the time. being separated will not alone will not produce godliness and I, I tell these young folks and I know we, we try to homeschool and we try to separate our children and all that but that is not in itself alone enough to produce godliness no more than if you put your motorcycle in the garage and believe that next tomorrow it's going to be a Lamborghini it won't happen Isolating it won't change it. But you see, the Lord, when he prayed, prayed it like this. I pray not that thou should take them out of the world, but that thou should keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify or cleanse them with thy truth. Thy word is truth. As they have sent me into the world, even so I also send them into the world. What do you say? In this hour, I know the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves. And I realize busy and things are going and happening. But if there was ever an hour when we need the presence of God... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh, and that same Spirit that dwelt in Christ can dwell in us. And if you ever needed to be cleansed today, 
I need to be cleansed every time the church is open because we are living in a contaminated, anger-filled, frustrated, value-changed society that is constantly trying to trick you into what's important and what's worthy of your time and energy. But I'm here to tell you, we've got to at some point say, Lord, I want you to wash me and cleanse me. I need your presence again. Every service. And Brother Nick said, and I, I agree, we've, we've been bombarded. And it feels like hammered at times. Things going on. I wish I could tell you that it's all going to get better before the Lord comes. You're not going to have problems. There will be no more sickness, no more pain, no more... No more struggling, no more surgeries, no more issues, no more self-esteem issues. I, I can't tell you that that's going to happen. But what I can tell you is there is a source that you can have. That somehow, in this polluted, contaminated world, for an oasis, if nothing else, that I can come in on a Sunday morning, on a Sunday night, and the Bible calls it for with stammering lips and in another tongue will he speak to his people saying, this is the rest wherewith to cause the weary to rest. I got a whole lot more I could talk about on this and this is not all of holiness, but I want to tell you, it starts with me every day saying, I got to have God readjust my values. Or if I'm not careful, I will buy something stupid. I'll actually believe that that I need that more than I need God. I need that more than I need to pray. I need that more than I need to be in the house of God. I need that more... that it's not fair that I don't have that. And I'll get envious and jealous and upset when God's done so much for me. You say, but pastor, I don't, I'm overwhelmed. I know, I think we all are. But what I want you to know is there is a sanctification. This verse that I read in John, Jesus spoke when he was in prayer. He had surrounded himself with people that he thought would get it, and even they didn't get it. And so what did he know how to do? I gotta pray through. You say, well, you mean Jesus had to go into the garden and pray? Yes, and you know what he prayed? God, don't take them out of the world but keep them in the world right now, wherever they are. And what I'm telling us right now is that if we'll be like Jesus, I know Jesus had compassion, he healed, he fed, and we'll talk about that, I got it. But you know what? He knew how to pray through and keep himself cleansed and keep it out of his spirit. Oh, what are you saying? I'm saying in this hour, we need the presence of the Lord more than we've ever needed it. I need a washing, I need a touch. Let's stand. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Let's come. In fact, praise God. Hallelujah.